Uh, welcome back, guys. Like I said in the opening, we do have a new sermon series, and it's going to be about end times. Now, many people nowadays, whether you are religious or irreligious, a lot of people are actually thinking a lot about the end times. Why? Okay. Just this year alone, of course, COVID-19 happened, a pandemic happened. That was, that was pretty crazy, crazy enough. On top of that, here are some of the other things that happened just in 2020. There was a volcano that happened in the Philippines. There was a flood and a mudslide that happened in Brazil. There was a big fire, big, big fire, uh, end of last year and up to this year in Australia. There was a there was all, all, there's always tornadoes, but it was pretty bad this year in the United States. And there was also an earthquake that happened in the Middle East. But not only that, there was a pretty, pretty bad locust uh, appearance that happened in Africa. And so a lot of people are actually suffering and uh, they're in the verge of famine as well. You see why people are interested in end times? Why? Because this is exactly the type of stuff that the Bible talks about. There will be earthquakes. There will be floods, hurricane, famine, disease. All of these things uh, the Bible talks about. And so, of course, a lot of people are asking, maybe this is really the end times. That's what we're going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks. What does Jesus actually tell us about the end times? What does the Bible tell us about the end time? Today, we are going to specifically talk about a situation where the disciples actually point blank ask Jesus, okay, when are these things going to happen? What are the signs of the end times? This is from Matthew 24. We're going to start from there, verse 1 through 3. Jesus left the temple and was walking around when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see these things, he said? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will the when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age so jesus is walking out of the temple and they see the beautiful temple and the disciples are saying wow look how beautiful it is jesus jesus actually says well you know what i know these things are beautiful but guess what the temple will be destroyed of course uh, the disciples are very shocked. So later on, they come to him and they say, when will these things happen? But they don't just ask one question. They ask another question, which makes uh, Matthew 24 uh, very, very uh, confusing for us because the disciples ask, actually ask Jesus two different questions. They ask, number one, when is the temple going to be destroyed? And number two, what are the signs of you actually coming back? And so you have to read Matthew 24 uh, very carefully because some of the things that Jesus talks about, he's actually talking about question number one. 
And some of the things is actually, talk, actually talking about question number two. You just have to read it uh, carefully. Now, today we're going to be reading actually from the Mark uh, version of the same thing because it is shorter. It, the Matthew 24 version is a little longer, and the Mark 13 uh, version is much shorter. So we're going to actually look at that. So the two questions that we're trying to get at is, when is he coming back? Okay. And what are the signs of him coming back? Okay, so this is what Jesus says. This is from um, verse 23, Mark chapter 13, verse 23 to 25. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. And the heavenly bodies will be shaken. So I read up to verse 25. Now, scary, right? Okay. Think of the first coming. Most of us, when we think of the first coming, Christmas, um, we usually have very positive, like very, like there's snow, like it's a baby, it's a birth, it's like full of joy. You know, you think of like, chestnuts roasting on an open fire you know that it's very like positive kind of thing it's very soft it's very gentle by the way that even though we feel like that if you actually read the bible it wasn't actually that pretty it was actually very very messy and like probably like cow and horses and you know like poop everywhere it, it was kind of like that you know it wasn't pretty at all um but when we think of the first coming we it, it gives us peace it gives us oh yeah Jesus came for me. But when we think of the second coming, I mean, we read the description, right? Sun will darken. It's like an eclipse, right? The heavenly bodies will start falling, right? There will be Mary, uh, there will be stars falling and these kind of things. And the whole earth is shaking. Now, again, when we think of that, uh, it kind of scares us. Oh, whoa. That's very, very dramatic. It's kind of like a movie scene. Uh, two things that immediately came to my mind was, man, it's really, really scary. When I think of the first coming of Jesus, it, it gives me peace. But why is it that when I think of the second coming, when I think of all the different shakings that will happen, why is it that I am so scared? We become very scared, but that's not actually Jesus' main point here. He's not trying to scare us. He actually tells us right from the get-go. The whole point of him telling us these things is he says, be on guard. There's a lot of different phrases that he uses. He says, be on guard, be alert. And our sermon uh, title, which is, series title, which is, keep watch. Okay, what's Jesus' point? He's not saying, shake in your boots and be scared. That's not his point. Again, his point is pretty simple. It's be ready, be alert. Do not be scared, but have an urgency. Are you ready for Jesus's coming? And I would say for most of us, uh, that, doesn't, that doesn't make us feel better. If anything, that, that scares us even more. The fact that, you know, knowing that we're not ready, uh, knowing that we actually don't want Jesus to come back that fast, 
um, also knowing that uh, we really just don't, don't have urgency. He continues on in Mark chapter 13, verse 26 to 27. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send him the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now, look here. You see why this is so scary? And at the same time, these, these, these verses actually tell us exactly why we are so scared and why we do not have urgency. Let's look into it. Okay, what is it? Clouds, power, glory. Okay, these are the three key words. Okay, he's going to come with these three things. Okay, but again, once again, that's going to tell us why we are so scared and why we don't have urgency. Okay, stay with me. Let's start from the beginning of the Bible. Genesis 3, or Genesis 1, 2, and 3. God creates a paradise. Okay, he creates a perfect world. A Garden of Eden, right? What do you see there? Paradise. Why? God's presence is there. Because of that, right? Because God's presence, God, God, every, everywhere God goes, there's life. There's flourishing. There's proliferation. There's growth. There's, there's glitter. There's light. There's brilliance. So that's where God is at. God is with Adam and Eve. And because of that, you see joy. You see love that's just oozing out of a Garden of Eden. And that's why we, we look at that and we go, wow, what a beautiful place. What a wonderful place. There is no disease. There's no hurricanes. There's no natural disasters. There's no COVID. There's none of those things. But what happens? We see that Adam and Eve, uh, they are not happy with the fact that God is their king. They want to be their own gods. They want to be their own saviors. They want to have control over their own lives. So what happens? Sin comes into this world. And because of that, the Spirit of God is withdrawn from the paradise, from this world. So what happens? We see right after that, Death happens, guilt happens, shame happens, labor happens, murder happens, lying happens, disease, natural disasters. All the things that we see in this world today, we start seeing those things happening in this world. Why? Because of, of the absence of God. So it's kind of like, imagine... The dark side of the moon, right? The, the side that never sees the sun, right? There's one side that goes around the earth but always sees the sun, but the other side of the moon, and that's exactly what happened to our world. Is before the sun used to radiate, radiate onto this side of the moon, but all of a sudden, the absence of the sun, now we're on the dark side. There's coldness, there's brokenness. There's disease, there's death, there's weeping. But we see the beauty of uh, the Bible and beauty of our God. He, he doesn't just leave us there. He doesn't just say, you guys messed up. 
you guys will all die for it. But instead, he actually gives us a way out. And so if you actually go uh, into the next books after Genesis, we see, we see uh, as you go more and more, we see that God is actually trying because there was a separation. He's actually trying to restore the relationship that was broken. And so we see this ultimate manifestation in the book of Exodus. Now, in the book of Exodus, we see that uh, uh, God has chosen a nation. They're called the Israelites. And he actually takes them out of uh, Egypt from slavery. He sets them free. And he says, you know what? With you guys, I'm going to make a covenant. I'm going to make a promise that there will be a Messiah who will reconnect our relationship together, that will bridge the gap. And he starts giving them glimpses of what this restored relationship back to Eden would actually look like. And the best manifestation of this is when he tells them to build a tabernacle. Now, a tabernacle is basically a tent, but it's like a church, but it's tent. And we actually see for the first time after they make the tabernacle that God actually comes in the form of, do you guys know? Cloud. His presence filled the temple. And we call this, and the Hebrew word is called Shekinah, the glory of God. Now, why are we talking about this? We're talking about this because that's exactly what the second coming is all about. Okay? The reason why Jesus is telling us he's coming through the clouds is not because that's his car or he needs clouds. No. From the beginning, cloud was a symbolism of God's presence, that God is with us. So what does that mean for you and I? That means... Now, when Jesus comes, Jesus is coming to restore what was broken. That means all the injustice that you see on this world, He's coming for justice. For all the brokenness that you see in this world, He's coming to renew, to restore, to remake once again. Now, why are we scared then? Why, are we, why don't we have urgency? This is why. This is the reason why. Okay, a lot of us, we actually don't want Jesus to come quick. We are like, you can come, but come when I am ready. Why? Okay, we say things like this. We say, first, I, wanna, I, wanna, I have stuff I got to do. Like, I want to get married first. I, I want to I build my family first. Like, I want to retire first and, you know, enjoy my vacation a little bit more. And then, Jesus, you can come. Like, I want to I build a successful business. I, I have stuff I got to do, Jesus. Like, I'm not ready yet. In essence, we're too busy building our own kingdom here that we don't want Jesus' kingdom to come. Okay? We got our own agendas, our own businesses that we got to take care of. 
we're building our own kingdom here. And so when we hear that Jesus is coming in power and glory, and he's coming to restore his world, and those are his agendas, his power, his glory, we don't like that. We don't want that. Why? We want our power. We want to become more powerful. We want to make a name for ourselves here on earth. We want more glory for ourselves. So when we hear that Jesus is going to come, we know that's the end of our power, our glory. We don't like that. We don't want that. We're trying to build our house here. We're trying to build our kingdom here. We know that when Jesus' kingdom comes, for us, we got to move aside. You see why we don't yearn for the kingdom of God? You see why we don't have urgency for the kingdom of God? If anything, we yawn at kingdom of God. We're way too rich. We're way too comfortable. We're way too privileged. For us, we yawn that Jesus is coming and restoring this world. Why? Again, we got our own agendas. But think about this. Think about the people that would actually be waiting. Now, place yourself like this. Okay? Imagine you were an African slave in the South about 100 years ago. Do you think you would be yawning? Or imagine yourself, a little girl in Southeast Asia that's been sold by your own parents because they needed money for sex slavery. Do you think they're yawning at restoration? Or think of, in Africa, the kids who are going through famine right now. Do you think they're yawning that Jesus is coming? No, absolutely not. You see, the slave, the little girl, the little kids who are dying, people who face injustice every single day, they're not yawning. Why? Because they know what injustice looks like. They know what discomfort on this earth actually looks like. They are yearning for another world. They understand how broken this world is. And they are longing for a Savior to come back and restore this world where there will be no more hunger, where there will be no more corruption, where there will be no more death. Summary, we have it too good. This is why we are yawning and not yearning. We are yawning because we are super duper comfortable and we are super duper rich. And we want to live, I mean, most of us, we just want a little bit of God. We just want God to make our lives a little bit better because we got agendas, we got kingdom to build. We have to make names for ourselves. And again, this is why we are not yearning for God. Whereas majority, majority of the world who are poor, who are in poverty, where they're getting killed for their beliefs in Jesus, they are praying that God comes back. So interesting, isn't it? For us, we tell God, God, I, I want you to come, but you know, just, just hold up a little bit. Let me, let, me, let me do my stuff a little bit first, and then you come. 
Whereas majority of the people in the world are saying, Jesus, come. Jesus, please come. This is why we are not on guard. This is, not, this is why we don't keep watch. This is what Jesus, Jesus summarizes it perfectly in Luke chapter 6. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your kingdom, great is your reward in heaven. But woe to you who are rich, for you, are already, you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Now, obviously Jesus is not saying it's bad to laugh. Jesus is not saying that it's bad to be even rich. But what he's saying is, listen, you think richness will give you security. You think this food will give you full satisfaction. You don't understand. You're not longing for my kingdom to come. You're so busy building your own agendas and your own kingdom and your own house. that You don't care for my kingdom to come. You don't pray, let your will be done on this earth. You pray, God, let my will be done in my life. You help me. And that's why Jesus says, woe to you. Cursed are you. Because you don't understand. You are not waiting at all. All right. So we have a problem. We're too rich. We're too comfortable. We have too many agendas. So we don't want Jesus to come. We, we yawn. We fall asleep. What do we do? Well, Jesus actually tells us. He tells us in Revelation 3. He's talking to a church. They're called Laodicea. Many of you guys are familiar with it. Why? Because that's the perfect description of the American church. Of you and of me. And this is what he says to us. He says, You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve to put on your eyes so that you can see. So what is it saying? He's saying the thing that we have been talking about, which is we have idols in our lives. We talked about don't waste COVID-19. We talked about how suffering reveals things that we trust the most. It really reveals who we really are. And for many of us, we go, my life, I mean, my life could be better. I mean, I wish COVID-19 goes away. But for most of us, we are so content with our lives. We're totally okay. We go, yeah, my, I mean, I just want a little bit, God, just give me a little bit more money. 
God, just give me a little bit more power. God, give me just a little bit more skills. Then I'll be okay. And Jesus is saying, don't you realize you think you are so rich. You think you covered yourself up with your, all your fig leaves and you think you're doing okay. And you don't, think, you don't think you need anything. And to that, Jesus is saying, don't you understand? You're wretched. You're blind. You're naked. So he's telling us, essentially, what we've been talking about, which is, you need to let go of your idols in your life, the things that you think will give you security, you, the things that you think will give you love, the things that you think will give you meaning and worth. He's telling you to let go. He's saying, I know you're naked, but I have come to clothe you. Buy from me. Invest in me. Put your time in me. Then you will have true riches. And that's exactly what he's calling us to do. That this world, it's not going to get better. Okay? People, I, I, I saw this on social media. Someone, someone wrote, like, um, they wrote in Chinese. Like, somebody, like, did, uh, like, um, what is that? Uh, graffiti. They did graffiti. And they said, we can't go back to normal. Because normal was not good. That's exactly our situation. For us, we don't realize it. Why? Because we are too rich, too privileged, too comfortable living in this bubble. Again, Jesus is calling us to wake up. Let me give you uh, one practical, really practical uh, tip, because this is really hard for us. Because again, we live in a bubble. Most of the people that we live, uh, we, we uh, associate with, uh, they're all rich like us. They're all comfortable like us. If anything, they make us more envious and jealous because they're richer than us or they're living a better life than us. Again, it doesn't help us. Uh, let me give you one practical tip. You've got to learn to serve the poor. Okay? You you got to be passionate about the things that Jesus was passionate about. He wants to end injustice. He wants to end poverty. He wants to end suffering. Um, so if we want to yearn, not yawn, but yearn for Jesus' second coming, then we have to start setting aside our agenda and actually start being passionate about what Jesus is passionate about. He wants to restore this world. Then we have to get involved with that now, starting now. That's the only way that's going to keep us awake. So, I'm not, I'm not asking you just to throw money somewhere. Okay? Because some of you guys are donating to places, and that's great. What I'm asking you, and what I'm suggesting to you is that you actually get your hands really dirty. That you actually experience, get to know people who are actually poor, who are actually going through a difficult crisis. Stop watching Netflix. Stop watching YouTube videos. 
Instead, watch some documentaries. Okay? Get to really see what the evil of this world. And get involved and get dirty. And basically place yourself in their situation. And to realize, wow, I am living in a bubble. Wow, this world is actually really, really bad. And yeah, what is, what is that going to do? That's going to help you to yearn for Jesus' kingdom as well. So, question for you. Are you yawning? Or are you yearning for God's kingdom? He finishes in Revelation 3. This is what I shared with you guys last week as well. But he says this to the church, and I, I believe he's telling you and he's telling me. He says this in 19, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to you, to open door. He's speaking to us right now. He's speaking to you right now. He's saying, repent. Will you yawn or will you yearn for second coming of Jesus? Let's go into time of reflection.